Good morning, church. Happy New Year. I love you. I appreciate you so very much. I'm so excited to start a brand new year with you. This, this time of year is always, is always fun and interesting, isn't it? How we're, we're always trying to, to start something new or maybe to stop something that we, we shouldn't be doing, but we're, we're all interested or typically interested in making good changes and good decisions in our lives. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but thinking back to some of those decisions that you've made in the past, how many of us have ever started a diet and then before too long and maybe quicker than we'd like to admit, we broke the diet? You've been there? Uh, or maybe, maybe you started a new budget and you really, you're going to be fiscally responsible in the new year and before long you kind of abandon the budget. Or maybe even to make it more spiritual, maybe you started a, a Bible reading plan and you made it to Leviticus, right, before you stopped. So we, we've been there. And if you've, if you've been there, you're not alone. I, I, I read this week that only 8% of New Year's resolutions are carried out for the year, which means 92% of us, I don't know about that other 8%, but the 92% of us have at least one time in our life, we've made a New Year's resolution and we failed to, to follow through on it. But, but the thing about it is our plans that are really good plans. You know, we know who we are, and then we know who we want to be. We know the decisions that we want to start making, the habits that we want to start developing. Somewhere along the line, that, that plan gets sabotaged. But as I was thinking about that, as I was thinking about things like diets that I really wanted to do, nobody has ever force-fed me pie. You know what I mean? Nobody has ever, they've encouraged me, but the only person who's ever force-fed me pie is me. The only person who's really ever sabotaged my plans is me. And chances are you could say the same, couldn't you? That the person who sabotages those great plans that you have, those, those great goals that you have, the person who sabotages those is you. And so let's just kind of ponder that for a second this morning. How and why do we sabotage our own growth? How and why do we sabotage our own growth? And this year, not only this month, but throughout the whole year, I really want us to think about questions like these. Who am I? Where do I want to be headed? What sort of a life do I want to be living? What sort of habits do I want to have and develop? What do I need to change in my life? We, we want to spend this year reflecting and renewing. That's our, our theme this year, reflect and renew. We want to do some serious, sober self-reflection, self-evaluation and say, who am I? Who am I that's good? And, and what are the things that I'm doing that are good that need to stay the same and I need to persevere and endure and keep going? And in what ways do I need to change and make some, some progress? But, but we don't want to just stop at reflection. We actually want to take the next step into renewal, to, to change, to, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So this whole year, we're really going to focus on reflect and renew. Reflect and renew. Who am I and what's the next step in my spiritual journey. This morning, we're going to start with a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. It's actually the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And as I've said before, 
Corinth was not your grandmother's church, okay? It was, it was more like a, a biker bar church. I mean, like, it was rough. Like, these guys were rough. These people were rough. The, their background was rough. The things that they had been doing and, in many ways, the things that they were still doing. And, and Paul saw some of the things that they were doing in Corinth, and he told them, stop. From the very beginning, he told them, you can't, you can't follow Jesus and keep doing all of this stuff. He, he told them to stop. He warned them to stop. And, and this letter that Paul is writing, he's writing right before his next in-person visit. And he's writing to say, hey, I'm about to show up, and y'all have better stop what you were doing before. I, I better see some changes that have happened there. It, it's all about change. It's all about, these are the things that you need to stop doing. You, you need to stop doing these things. But unfortunately, for the people in Corinth, some of them, they, they weren't making it about the things in them that needed to change. They were making the conversation about Paul. And we kind of do that too, don't we? That, that when somebody points out the things in us that need to change, we turn it around and make it about them. Look with me, if you will, at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 10, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 10. Here's one of the things that they said about Paul. And Paul, I think he's writing it in the letter to say, I know, I know what y'all say about me. I, I know what you think about me. He says, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. In other words, we might say something like, he's a wimp. He's a wimp. I mean, his letters, yeah, oh, his letters, ooh, big, scary letters that Paul writes. They're, they're big and bold, and, and he really takes us to task in his letters. But when he shows up in person, he's nothing. He's a wimp. And his, not only his presence, but his speech, I mean, he's not very convincing. He's not a great public speaker. And they, they really said he's of no account, so don't listen to him. But again, th that wasn't the question, the question wasn't, is Paul a good public speaker? The question wasn't, does Paul have a, a great impressive presence when he's in the room? Do, do you feel his presence? That wasn't the question. The question was, are you sinning? And do you need to change your life? See, we might, in modern psychology, we might call this deflecting, right? We, we deflect. When, when someone points out something in us that needs to change, when someone corrects us or rebukes us, warns us, admonishes us, we turn it around and we make it about them. I don't like how you said that. I don't like, I don't like the, the way you said that. We turn it around and we make it about the person who's telling us we need to change. Or, or we make it about some third-party person, right? And we, we, we sometimes we hear a sermon or we're sitting in a Bible class or we read the Bible and we think, yeah, yeah, I know some people like that. I know some people like that that need to change. Maybe even you hear this and you say, yeah, I know some people who deflect. <laughs> me too. <laughs> it's me and it's you, isn't it? We, we have this tendency to deflect, don't we? When somebody says, hey, 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 if you're doing this, you probably need to stop. Hey, if you're, you're not doing that, you probably need to start. Hey, if you don't do this very often, you need to get in the habit of doing this often. And we hear that and we don't like it. It steps on our toes. It makes us feel uncomfortable. And so we make it about the person. We say, well, he's not a very good public speaker anyway. 
We say, well, I don't like the way that he looks. I don't like the sound of his voice. Or we make it about somebody else and we say, yeah, but what about them? What about my cousin? What about my brother? What about my sister? What about my neighbor? They're way worse than I am. See, this is our tendency, isn't it? Instead of taking it, instead of opening ourselves up to the correction or the rebuke, we, we turn it around and we make it about someone else. That's what the people in Corinth were doing. They were making it about Paul. Well, now Paul has to spend his time and energy defending his ministry, not because he wants to make himself look good, but because they needed to listen. And so Paul gives them all kinds of reasons. This is why it is, it is imperative that you listen to me. I may not be the best public speaker, but you need to listen to me because your soul is in danger. And this is really one of the reasons they weren't growing, and one of the reasons sometimes we're not growing is because we deflect. Look at chapter 6 and verse 3, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3. So he's explaining why they needed to listen to him in spite of what some people say. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. So here's how Paul says, here's how we commend our ministry. Not just my personal ministry, he's saying, but our ministry. Here's how we commend our ministry. One, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Then he says in verse 6, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. Then he says in verse 7, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. He goes on, verse 8, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And then he says, verse 11, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Open your hearts to what we're saying. Open your hearts to what we're saying. I know it's hard. I, I know that we're telling you some things that make you uncomfortable. I know we're rebuking you. I know we're correcting you. I know we're warning you. And I know what people say about me. I know what people say about us. They say we're weak. They say we're wimps. They say we're not good public speakers. Okay, but here's who we are. Paul commends his ministry in three ways. We just read it. Paul commends his ministry in three ways. Number one, by the things he has suffered. Look at what I've suffered. Look at what I've endured. Weak? Okay, yes, I, I'm weak. I admit it, I'm weak. But I'm weak in the same way that Jesus was weak. I suffer. Even though I'm not guilty, I, I suffer. Number two, by the Spirit's fruit in his life. Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, Paul is proving why they should listen to him. 
Listen to him, not just when he says the things that they like to hear, but listen to him when he says the things that hurt, the things that wound them, the things that rebuke them. Because of the things he suffered, because of his purity, because of the Spirit's fruit in his life, and number three, by God's power in his ministry. He says things like truthful speech, power of God, weapons of righteousness. See, here's the thing. Here's how this applies to us. I don't think it's right to say that we should open ourselves up to rebuke and correction from everybody. We live in a world where everybody wants to rebuke us, right? Everybody wants to rebuke you. Everybody wants to rebuke me. Everybody wants to correct us and say how we're, we're wrong about this, that, or the other. And if you spend all of your life open to everybody's rebuke and correction, man, you'll be all over the place, won't you? This person says you should do this, and this person says you should do that, and this person wants you to be this way, everybody that way. It would be chaos. So Paul's not saying, open your heart up to everybody. In fact, in Corinth, they were opening their hearts up to all the wrong sorts of teachers, all the wrong sorts of correctors, people that put themselves forward as super apostles. And Paul's saying, but look at our life. Look at our ministry. Look at what I've suffered. Look at the Spirit's fruit in my life. And church, when, when you can see that in someone's life, when you can see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, when you see somebody who sacrifices and suffers for the sake of Jesus, and then that person speaks into your life and corrects you or rebukes you or admonishes you, don't deflect. Don't deflect. Listen to what they have to say. If you can see the Spirit's fruit in their life, listen to what they say. Paul's not saying open your heart to everybody, but he is saying open your heart to him. Why? Because of these truths. Because he's proving with his life and his ministry that he can be trusted, and that the Corinthians needed to listen to his correction. Keep going in chapter 11 and verse 3. It says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. See, they were, they were listening to other people. Paul says, why do you listen to them when they lie to you and you don't listen to me when I tell you the truth? Why do you listen to them when they tell you things that are different than what you first accepted and you won't listen to me when my message has been consistent from the beginning? Why, why are you opening your heart to them but you won't open your heart to me? And again, there's a lot of application there for us, isn't there? Why, why are there certain people in your life? Maybe not even people you know personally that you open yourself up to their correction but you won't open yourself up to spiritual correction from spiritual people in your life. That when people who are guided by and filled with the Holy Spirit try to correct you and rebuke you and warn you and say, oh, I love you so much, come back and do things this way, you don't listen. But when the world corrects you, 
you say, oh, I better listen to that. Sometimes, some of us are more open to the world's correction than the word's correction. Isn't that true? Some of us are more open to the world's correction than we are the word's correction. We let the world shame us and correct us. We let the world tell us what kind of man we ought to be. We let the world tell us what kind of woman we ought to be. What does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be feminine? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be just? What does it mean to be fill in the blank? We let the world tell us, and then we, we feel guilty. We listen to a podcast. We, we, we saw a TED Talk. We, we read a blog post. We saw, we saw a meme. And all of a sudden, we allow the world to correct us and say, oh, you're right. Oh, I should look like that. I should act like that. I should be macho like that. I should be feminine like that. Why, why do we do that? Why are we opening our heart to the world's correction and closing our heart to the Spirit's correction? Closing our heart to the Word's correction. And when the Word tries to correct us, when someone's spiritual, make it about them or we make it about someone else. Don't talk to me about that. Those people out there are so much worse than I am. It's not about them. It's not about them. It's about me. It's about you. It's about the truth that we need to hear. So, so the people in Corinth, they actually needed to close off their heart to these false teachers and open up their heart to true teaching. How do you know which is which? Well, you look at people's lives. Do you see suffering for the sake of Jesus? Do you see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? That's how you know that someone's walking in the Spirit. And Paul says, look, I've proven myself, haven't I? Over and over and over again, open your heart to us and stop listening to the correction of these false teachers. Look at verse 5, 2 Corinthians 11. Indeed, I consider that I'm, I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Paul says, okay, they're better public speakers than me. Okay, that was never the question. The question is, am I telling you the truth? Have I been telling you the truth from the beginning? And the people that want to criticize me and say he's weak, okay, I'm weak. The people that want to criticize me and say, he's not a good public speaker. Paul says, okay, I'm not a good public speaker. But I do know what I'm talking about. And what I'm talking about is, is the truth of Jesus. And this knowledge that I'm imparting to you, I am not inferior to them when it comes to knowledge. I may be when it comes to public speaking, but I'm not so when it comes to knowledge. So listen to what I'm telling you. Listen to what I'm saying. But again, they continue to deflect to their own detriment. And, and we do that too, don't we? We continue to deflect to our own detriment. Even after we've seen in someone's life, they can be trusted. They're speaking the truth. Keep going with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. Chapter 12 and verse 20. Paul says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. And that you may find me, not as you wish. That perhaps 
there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. See, Paul says, you're afraid that when I show up, I'm going to embarrass you because I'm not a good public speaker. Okay, that may be. I may get there, and you may not find me as you wish. But I'm afraid I'm not going to find you as I wish either. And I'm afraid that when I get there, this is what I'm going to find, quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder and sexual immorality. That's what I'm afraid I'm going to find. So, okay, I'm a wimp. Okay, I've suffered a lot of things. Okay, you think I'm weak. Okay, you think I'm not a great public speaker. But what I'm telling you is true. And when I show up, these things better not be present. You've got to change. You cannot continue to live like this. You cannot continue to be warned over and over and over again and continue to slander and continue to be divided and continue to gossip and continue to be bitter and continue to be angry and continue to indulge in sexual immorality. You can't keep doing this. I'm warning you. And I've warned you before. And he's saying, don't don't make this about me. This is about what needs to change in you. Look at chapter 13 and verse 1. He says this. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. It seems like what Paul is saying is he's saying, now, when I came the first time, I saw what y'all been doing. And I warned you, stop. And then I came the second time, and I saw what you continue to do, and I warned you, stop. And I'm coming again. And when I get there... I better not see all of these things again. Because if I do, then this pattern of behavior is proven by the evidence of three witnesses. I'm I'm witnessing against you three separate times. And if this continues to be the case, then I will have no choice but to discipline you, to remove you from the fellowship of the church. This isn't what Paul wants to do. I mean, it's the, it's the same reason, I'm not saying we ought to do this as parents, but, but it's the same reason that as parents, we're compelled to count, aren't we? We want to count, right? Okay, I'm going to give you to the count of three. One, two, two, and, a, two and a half, two, two and three quarters. We don't want to get to three. I want to give you every opportunity. Change. Paul says, please, before I get there, Change. Stop this pattern of behavior. Look at verse 2. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Right? There's a sense in which Jesus is weak. He allowed himself to be insulted and spit upon and crucified 
He allowed himself to be executed. But in dealing with his people, in dealing with his people, he deals with them in power to tell them this is wrong and if you don't stop or this is right and if you don't start, then you are out. And Paul says, yes, I'm weak. In a sense, I'm weak. In a sense, everybody has taken their shots at me. I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked, I've been this, I've been that. And he goes through all of these things. But when I show up, I'm going to show up in the power of God. I'm going to show up with the power of Christ. And if you haven't repented, then you're out. It's not what he wants to do, but it's what has to happen. And for their own sake, they have to listen. And it's not easy. It's not easy, is it? None of us like to be corrected. None of us like somebody to tell us, stop doing that thing that we like to do. Nobody likes it for somebody to say, you you have to start living this way when we don't want to live that way. It's hard to change. But Jesus gives us the power to change and the reason to change. And we can't keep living in two worlds at the same time. We can't continue to say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't live like it. I don't think like it. I don't talk like it. I don't act like it, but I'm a follower of Jesus. Nope, you don't get to say that. You, you either follow Jesus or, or you don't. If you're going to be here. You're going to follow him. you got to start trying to move in that direction, taking a step in that direction. And that's what Paul hopes that they will do. He says, you, you keep looking for proof that Christ is in me. You keep looking for proof that Christ is in me. He says, I'm about to show you. I'm about to show you that Christ is in me. And I hope that you've seen it already. But here's where he sort of changes things and turns the table on them. Look at verse 5 of chapter 13. He says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. See, they've been testing Paul. This whole time they've been testing Paul. They've been examining Paul. They've been evaluating Paul. Is Jesus Christ really in Paul? Who do you think you are, Paul, telling us all this? Who do you think you are? Say, don't do this and do that and change this and change that. Who do you think you are? Is Jesus Christ really in you? Let's have a, let's have a committee meeting. Let's, let's discuss, is Jesus Christ really in Paul? And Paul says, that's a legitimate question that to you, that Jesus Christ is in me. But it's not the only question. Here's the question you ought to be asking. Is Jesus Christ in you? You ought to be asking yourself, is Jesus Christ in me? Test yourself. Evaluate yourself. Examine yourself. It's one thing to examine your teacher, and that's a legitimate thing to do. Do they have the moral standing to tell me to change my life? But that's not the only questions you ought to be asking. Don't deflect Think about your own life. Evaluate your own life. Examine your own life. Am I in the faith? Have I passed the test? Why do we struggle to do that? Why is it so much easier to deflect? When when somebody admonishes us or warns us, when somebody corrects us, why is it so much easier to make it about them instead of accepting responsibility for our own life? I think part of the reason is we don't understand the basic premise that in Christ, we are saved by grace through faith. 
In Christ, we are saved by grace through faith. As Christians, we are saved. We are in a right covenant relationship with God, not because of our perfection, but because of his perfection. Not because of our goodness, but because of his. And when we accept that reality, and someone says to us, hey, as recipients of God's grace, you got to change this in your life. We say, oh, oh, okay, absolutely. I want to change as a recipient of God's grace. But when we think, when we think that we are saving ourselves because we're smart, we're saving ourselves because we're strong, we're saving ourselves because we're good, we're saving ourselves because we're doing everything right, we're checking all of the boxes, and someone comes along and says, hey, you probably need to change this, that, or the other, we get really scared, don't we? It rocks our whole world because we had convinced ourselves that we were good, We had convinced ourselves that we were smart. We had convinced ourselves that we were strong. The gospel isn't that you're strong enough or smart enough or good enough. It's that he is. And when we accept that as our foundation, when we understand that we are saved by grace through faith because we received his gift when we were baptized into Jesus and we're walking in his grace, then when people come along and correct us and they're right to do so, we can accept it without our whole world being shaken apart. We can correct ourselves. We can examine ourselves. We can test ourselves and not be afraid of what we find. Because I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm weak. I know I'm not smart about ourselves. And someone points something out to us. And how we could do better, we receive it with joy, don't we? So this is my encouragement to us this week. Reflect when you're tempted to deflect. Because maybe even right now, maybe even as we talk about this this morning, maybe you you recognize some things in your life that need to change, but the moment we get close to it, the moment you're afraid that's going to get brought up, the moment your toes start getting stepped on, you make it about someone else instead of yourself. And you're going to notice that this week. You're going to notice that you're tempted to deflect. Someone's going to point something out to you, or you're just going to see it. You're going to be reading the Bible, and you're going to see it. You're going to be listening to a lesson, and you're going to hear it. And you're going to recognize that that may apply to me. And there's going to be this temptation to turn around and make it about someone else. Make it about the person who told you. Make it about your cousin. Make it about your brother-in-law. Make it about someone else. And I want to encourage us, reflect when you're tempted to deflect. Reflect on yourself. Is Jesus Christ in me? Am I in the faith? Have I passed the test? Not am I perfect? Of course you're not. Not are you strong? Nope, you're not. You're weak. Not that you're smart. You're not. But he is. And are you trusting in him? Are you obeying him? Are you following him? Next week, we're going we're gonna to do a spiritual self-evaluation. I wanted to wait a week so that we had even more people that didn't sleep in this morning, you know, and, 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 and have that form. And we're going to go through it and, and evaluate our own lives. But I want to encourage you, don't wait till next week. Start evaluating right now. What needs to change? What steps do you need to take? And maybe this morning you're ready to take a step. Maybe you're ready to take the step of being baptized into Jesus and receiving the grace and the mercy of God. Or maybe you just need prayers. Our shepherds would love to visit with you after service in the prayer room. Or right now, you can take that step as together we stand and sing this song.